Hello, and welcome to the Daily Cron for Thursday, March 7th, 2019. I'm Stephen Tolton, and today is another Throwback Thursday. And I thought I would continue with some stories from the days of uh, creating Drexel 1 Mobile with uh, a little talk about version 2.0. So last time we left off, we had an app in the store. In fact, I went back and looked up the date stamps for this stuff, uh, and looks like version 1 was actually launched in the App Store on December 21st, 2010, at 4.59 p.m. That would be uh, the first version of it that was basically just a web app that... uh, that I talked about before, where you just built a little native shim. If I'm remembering this correctly, this was a long time ago. It's almost a decade ago now. Uh, so that was version one that I talked about before. Now, version two launched August 31st, 2011, at 4.01 p.m. So it was, uh, you know, the next year, but it wasn't, it wasn't too far. Uh, it wasn't like an entire year later. <clears throat> and the reason for this was because we launched version 1 and we very quickly discovered especially in those days that that the web apps were very limited. Now, Steve Jobs may have originally called them the sweet solution before the uh, formal SDK was released, but they were not really that sweet back in the day. Today, you can have much more fully featured web applications that are packaged as you know, apps running on the device. You can do a lot more with mobile Safari now than you ever could before. But back then, it was very basic. It was it was kind of slow. It didn't really do what we want to do. The advantage, I guess, was that you you would make you would just update the website, and it would work. But we couldn't do a lot of features we wanted to do. Performance was an issue. It didn't feel right on the different platforms, and especially back then, there was this this idea that. The application should fit the aesthetic and the the look and feel and the user experience of the platform. Uh, you'll see this a lot when you talk uh, to old Mac people, because uh, a Mac app has a very distinctive feel to it. Uh, it has a very distinctive kind of it has a very like standardized use of the toolbar. You know, for instance, different kinds of widgets. The the window, you know, um, UI is standard. Today, we're so used to using all these apps that violate those norms. You know, Slack comes to mind <laughs> as a big one. A lot of these kind of hybrid apps, and maybe that's not as obvious anymore, but there there was, uh, and even earlier in the days on the Mac, like before OS X, there was a lot of uh, standard standardization in the UI, and a good Mac app felt at home. They all, they were all, they all felt like they belonged in the same system, and that was nice. It made it more predictable to use a user interface. Now, on the early days of iOS, there was also this idea that these apps should kind of resemble the way Apple was doing things. Quickly, brands embraced an idea of making them more distinct. And even in the early days, you had very distinctive looking apps because, you know, but for a lot of us, when we were developing these early days, we're like, this is not supposed to be a crazy UI type of app. We didn't have the resources to build that. uh, And we figured that we wanted to make it feel at home on each platform. So for the iOS uh, version, I uh, wanted to basically make it look like 
the built-in applications to a large extent. So that meant basically it was a table layout kind of app. And so we started building that kind of shortly after version one came out because we, we saw all these limitations. And we, we had like a common design across them but we just kind of implemented with the built-in widgets. And version two was one that lasted for a long time, actually. It lasted pretty long. The 2.x branch went all the way up until version 2.1.17, which was released on September 2nd, 2014, at 11.13 a.m. And that was like the last one. That was probably just an update to point people to version 3 that we were going to be releasing. But uh, I'll have to look at those numbers later. But that was, you know, it lasted for a good, you know, like three years. So. Uh, and actually it was, uh, yeah, that's for a good three years. So we did version two and version two was, uh, mostly tables and like a tab view controller. Yes. Yeah. We had like these three tabs and we were, we had a lot of the same features we have today in the app, but a little more rudimentary back then. And everything was a table. We didn't have real custom UI. So (laughs) back then, like I didn't know how to do any of these apps. So we had just done 1.0 and that was just a web app. And all I learned was the most basic Objective-C to get the thing to load. Uh, but then I had to learn for real Objective-C to do, you know, this app, to do a native app. So that was a, a challenge. Uh, also a challenge, uh, even starting with version one, was the uh, just tremendously awful <laughs> app signing infrastructure you had to deal with. So much easier today. For the most part, you can kind of like let Xcode do its thing and it'll sign your app and everything. but in order to get an app in the app store, you have to sign it with a private key. The private key is stored in your keychain. That's still the same. But back then, like the method, I think I was using the application loader or something back then to upload it to the store. Like it wasn't necessarily integrated in Xcode. Man, so long ago. Um, I don't even know what version of Xcode I was using back then. Like three, four. I don't know. It was really old. Uh, and uh, I just remember it, it, it looking at Objective-C for the first time. And you're like, uh, and I'm like, what? what am I looking at? Because I had done C before, you know, <laughs> but uh, and I had done object-oriented programming. I had done C, I had done C++, but I'm like looking at Objective-C. I'm like, what is happening here? It was this message passing thing, and I was a little, I'm like, what is this? And all these brackets. Uh, so it was pretty funny because at the same time I'm learning how to do this, we have a developer who's learning how to do Android, and that's Java-based. And we had somebody else, uh, uh, actually, wasn't and- Android? And we had Palm. I think, man, I'm trying to remember. Actually, no, before before we did the Android version, I think I think we had a Palm version. Like we, oh, that's that's his own little story. Like Palm OS was a thing for a while, and then uh, I I can't remember exactly when all this happened, uh, and I'm not going to go and look up all the try to try to figure out all the dates like googling around. But I uh, I. <laughs> One point we we were we had an iOS app and then we were trying to do a Palm app and the, the funny thing was like the day practically that we finished that Palm OS app is when essentially Palm OS got canceled. It was really funny, but that developer uh, ended up building the Android app, and uh, so the Android app is Java, and, and so com- comparing the two languages, you've never seen Objective C and Java, very different looking. Uh, I actually really still use a lot of Objective-C, and I, I enjoy it, actually. I, I thought that the, the concept, the message, message-passing infrastructure still used on iOS apps today, even if you don't realize it if you're using Swift, but it's the message-passing made a lot of sense. Uh, there was, it, it was nice, but 
back then I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, and so I ended up using a lot of third party, um, things in there, like, uh, frameworks that I really regretted later on. <laughs> uh, I think this was the era of 320 from Facebook. And I was using that to do uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff in the app. And it was, it was not good because <laughs> they eventually dropped that framework. And that was, uh, it was like this whole thing that a whole framework to help you build your app faster and like build, I think, tables and all kinds of stuff. But the problem with it, problem with with it was it was very non-standard. So I ended up using it, and then eventually we got to a point where it was like, well, we're not even gonna. I, I wasn't really supported anymore. It was like they were dropping it, and you're like, oh crap, what am I gonna do? And uh, yeah, <clears throat> so we had to rewrite the app again. That's version three. That'll be another story. <laughs> So I'm um, thinking back on this, and I remember some of the interesting issues with programming this app back then. There was no auto layout. So if you're an iOS developer today, you know what auto layout is. There was no auto layout back then. <clears throat> I was doing everything by hand. I was manually calculating the size of the views and positioning them. And you can imagine doing tables back then was a real pain pain in the butt because you know we had uh, content like your schedule information or I don't even know. I think we might have had. <clears throat> I don't know if we had the messages from the uh, banner in there yet, but we had definitely had like schedule information. And of course, that can vary wildly. Like you have different title lengths, you have some description text. Like it was these cell sizes would not be consistent necessarily. And so in places where I was trying to handle arbitrary length strings, it was really cumbersome to try to calculate it. It just didn't, it never worked quite right. And maybe part of that was. The 320, I remember struggling a lot with that framework and trying to get it to work the way I needed it to in order to, to have the information I needed at the time in the render cycle, basically, to to size things. But I could never quite get it to work right. So there was always some kind of issue with sizing it. Now, luckily, back then, you really only you only had one screen to deal with for a long time. Like, there was just the one screen size. Uh, but because I did it with tables uh then when the screen sizes did change it was easy to for to keep up with that i didn't have to like redo the whole ui which was nice but the uh the the use of uh the use of the the the, the use of the tables as the primary metaphor that still kind of continues today except that when, in version three and I'll, I'll talk about that more another day it's still a lot of tables but there's also some collection views and other stuff in there that make it a little bit more varied but a, ta- a tabular interface worked really well for us uh, at that point. I mean, most of our data kind of fit into that. You'd have lists and schedule. One thing that version of the app never had, and I think maybe some of the other ones did even back then, was it didn't have a, a way of viewing your like calendar or your schedule uh, in a block view that a lot of people liked. It was a long time before I got that in the app and because um, it wasn't as straightforward as it would seem to build. It was a lot, apparently a lot easier to get it to work on the Android side. And back in these days, we also, I think, even had a BlackBerry version of this app for a while. Yeah. But, you know, that was really hard to keep working. And we also have, we also had a web kind of version of this as well. Like we had the same content had to be available on the web portal. That's that's called Drexel One. That's where we got the name. And uh, it was, it was tough managing all that. We built this whole custom API uh, in Microsoft wcf with windows communication foundation an old version of it it was it was before uh http rest based apis were like i guess fully supported in it like it had support but it was kind of like half-baked 
it was long before the web API framework or, you know, came from, from them, from Microsoft. So, you know, even to this day, I'm, I'm still working on that API on the back end, and it's a little cumbersome at this point. But back then, it was amazing, you know? So uh, I didn't write the original API, but I did work a little bit on it. And I, but I was primarily doing the iOS, and that was a lot of work in itself because, as I said, Objective-C was new. Besides not having auto layout, also had to do manual memory management. So those of you who haven't done that before, it had to do the um, had to retain release cycle manually. So every time I would instantiate an object, you know, I'd have to you know, retain it, you know, release it later, and try to keep the um, the counts correct. So I didn't have memory leaks and such. And it it became uh, you know difficult. That was like a, that was a source of definitely some bugs in there. The memory management. When when they um, was it Arc I think it's called uh, automatic reference counting yeah so instead of doing the reference counting myself retain and release that's what you're doing you're incrementing a reference count or you're decrementing a reference count and when there's no more references the reference count gets zero then you then um, the system can release that memory that's the idea so automatic reference counting when that came in and I started using that and con- when I converted to that uh, man that made my life a lot easier because uh, all those those reference counting things could become really cumbersome you had to be really careful so the the benefit of it though was i guess it did make you careful but you had situations you had a whole bunch of objects to deal with and then you were starting to use like auto release pools and uh occasionally it would just be weird memory retain issues and it was hard to debug depending on what they were uh and it just cluttered up your code too but it was really easy to forget one you know it was really easy to forget to like release things like if you forget to you know retain it that that would usually I think would usually crash it faster, but it was really easy to to have uh, leaks, memory leaks, and then it could balloon your footprint. And back then, you know, memory was much more scarce than it is on iOS today. And uh, I think the memory management is better than it was, I mean, better now than it was then. So if you had a really bloated app, I mean, yeah, you would the app could get yanked out of memory. You know, it could just it hit a memory warning and you could have a crash because you just used up too much memory. I mean, these devices we were running on the original iPhones, like uh, my first iPhone was a was a 3G, I believe. I don't even know if it was a 3GS at the time. So they were pretty memory starved. I mean, the first version of the iPhone was really memory starved, I believe, but I didn't actually work on that one. So what else about the, the original 2.0? Man, we had uh, we had this logo that I like a lot. And it was designed by, uh, I believe it was designed by a colleague, Carissa, who no longer works there. But uh, it was a really nice uh, logo, and I, I, it's, a, it's actually the uh, cover art for this podcast today. So if you can see that in your podcast app, you can see it. But I really like this design, but apparently, <laughs> apparently it's not like uh, officially of approved use of the dragon logo or something. Like you're not supposed to cut it at a diagonal <laughs> like that. So there was, there was only this. This like I think there's some people in the uh, didn't like that about that app, and so when we actually did the next version of the app, we had to change the logo, and we went to something which uh, I think is not as not nearly as good, but you know it is what it is. This is still like one of my favorite uh, logos that came out of our group. I think I think it really works, and we went through a lot of revisions of logos. Like I, I was looking for this logo, and I was seeing some of the revisions that I still had uh, saved, and man, we we did a lot back and forth uh, about this. This uh, app was a real team effort. I mean, we had management involved. We had, you know, someone doing API, a different person doing each client. We had to coordinate on the feature set. 
we had to integrate with, we had to build integrations to Banner, we had to build integrations to, you know, like phone directory, we had to, uh, integrations to all kinds of stuff, we had to build an authentication system, like, you, today, you start building a web API, and there's all kinds of defaults you can choose, you know, you, OAuth, there's OAuth specs for doing authentication mechanisms from the client, well, we didn't have that too much, or maybe if we did, we didn't really, wasn't, you know, OAuth 2 like it is now, we ended up building our own, uh, you know, based on some of the big API auth systems that existed at the time, uh, like from Amazon, I think. Uh, well, we built our own signing systems. It's similar, but not quite the same. Um, but it works. Uh, we had to, you know, figure out logging. I mean, logging today is a lot better. Even the built-in logging from Apple is a lot better. But back then, especially, the logging was terrible. It was it's like it was it was awkward to try to get the logs and to process them and to get anything useful out of them. So uh ended up using um at the time, which was new a new thing, Crash Lytics for crash logging. And we actually had a homegrown system for logs to to do like to do different kinds of crash logs. I never used it on the iOS app because uh I was like, Well, I have this other thing that works better and Crash Lytics worked a lot better. And back then Crash Lytics was new. It was like an independent little comp little startup and Ended up talking to one of the founders when I, you know, when I had problems. It was nice, but uh, yeah, we had like there was just no infrastructure. There was no test flight in. Like I remember at one point, ended up using test flight when it was not owned by Apple. But there was no like to do to do testing back then. Basically, I just had to install it directly on my device, or if we wanted to give it to some other to person, like so we wanted to. Uh, to have another member of the department access it had to get their their f- device like UUID and had to explain them how to go into iTunes and like do the option click or something in order to show the right number instead of the serial number and then copy that and give that to me and, and then I could add that into the back end on Apple's system and then uh you know and then we could I could install like the app it was really convoluted <laughs> It was really complicated. We had to use, I had to make these ad hoc builds, is what they would call them back then. Oh, man. And so they could use them. It was, a, yeah, it was a pain. And we had like a strict limit of how many. Like you can do now, oh, man, how many internal people can do like 100 or something now? We can do a lot, 25 or something like that at least. You, that, back then it was pretty, pretty limited. We had a hard limit on how many just uh, devices you could even connect to the developer account, which was a lot harsher limit than we have now and considering we had a university and we had uh some departments they had like a whole bunch of ipads set up and they had to use this mechanism to put ad hoc builds of apps on them like we were actually getting pretty close to the ceiling at one point so i had to be careful who had who got test devices nowadays you can use test flight and have like a gazillion people you know access to it if you want uh, if you go through the public test flight system so man there's a lot of limitations back in the day but it was also simpler you know, there was only the one language. It was Objective-C. And then occasionally a little bit of C if you need to get in there. Um, design aesthetics. It wasn't the most beautiful app, you know, in the world, but it worked. It uh, it fit the paradigm. It had good user experience because it used the built-in UI kit components, mostly tables stuff. So you got a lot of cool a- animations and stuff for free. And back then, that, stu- that stuff was new to everybody. And it, and, and it was still very cool. Just standard... Uh, you know, view controller transitions. And especially compared to the Android side, uh, the iOS app was just uh, so much smoother of an experience uh, back then, you know, early on. And then uh, Android, I'm, you know, I remember Project Butter. 
was a thing on the Android side. I mean, every every Android release, we'd be testing and see if we could get it to transition more smoothly and like scroll better. Because I, I mean, even back then, iOS is amazing. Okay, and the UI kit frameworks and all are amazing. We think about the device limitation we had back then, and I was able to build this 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 app, and it would have like your entire schedule could be in there, like through the entire term, just you know, and this huge table view, and you could just scroll that sucker as fast as you could flick your finger. And it would work, and it wouldn't crash, and it really wouldn't stutter. It was amazing. Uh, there's Apple engineers or something else. Uh, so version two, as I said, lived for several years before we uh, felt like we had to rewrite it again because iOS 7 was coming out. And iOS 7 uh, was a big design change. You went from a much, much heavy use of skeuomorphic design, you know, where, th- where the digital applications resembled physical counterparts you know, like leather stitching and such. And even though we didn't really do that in the app, uh, we still thought it was a good time to, to redesign it. And also we wanted to, to change some of the fundamental characteristics of the app. Like we had sort of, this, we didn't really have the concept of a dashboard fully implemented in the first version, but in, by version three, we did. So we had this like central home that you could go to that would pick up different bits of information and, and display its own little little um cards basically before cards were an interface version three i'll talk about this in the version three podcast but like we had uh the card interface there and back in version two though it was just table cells and like three different tabs and we had like one tab was just all public information and one was like the stuff you get access when you're logged in and uh one was like a map there's maps or something in there we had a very rudimentary map but it was cool oh and also back then your app had to work uh in some capacity without a login I remember there was that was the whole reason. If you go into the Drexel One app now, you have there's this inside Drexel area, just public information like news feeds and stuff and sports scores and things. That's all in there. I mean, it's useful to have in there, I guess. But uh, we especially had to make sure that was robust enough to get through app review, because we were concerned that they were going to reject us for not doing enough or not not working without a login. Because back then, it, it, app review and what was allowed, what was not allowed. I mean, it, even today, you can have some disagreements about it, but back then it was all brand new, and what we really didn't want was App Review to reject us, you know, for not doing for for not uh, for requiring a login because we couldn't really give them a login. Like, it, you know, it, uh, the systems at a university are quite complex, and uh, it's really hard to create a, uh, especially then, it was really hard to create a like fake user that you could access. Like, there's no concept of like fake student schedule data, you know. Like not the way our, our API was basically just a uh, authentication layer between a bunch of stuff, and like translation layers between a bunch of systems. So, um, uh, what else? App review back then took a long time. <laughs> took a long time. Let me see. I have down here the version one of the app was in review from December seventeenth to December twenty first, and then version two was in review from August twenty sixth to August thirty first. So it was always taking like at least a week. And when there was a, an, uh, an issue, I had to use uh, one. Of, I had to use a few times, even back then, like there'd be some kind of critical bug, and I had to use one of those expedited review processes. And I'd, I'd I'd contact Apple through the form on the website and be like, "Oh, please help us! I have to do this because it's like, uh, you know, thousands of students are using this app right now." And then uh, they still, last time I used it, they still did this. But Apple would send you this little passive aggressive email. <laughs> it was like it was like, "We'll let you do this this one time." But next time, you know, be more careful. You know, 
because you know I understand you don't want to abuse it, but back then expedited review is how you would get about a twenty four hour turnaround on review. Nowadays, expedited review is is from back then is the same speed as regular review is now for the most part. Uh, so that's quite remarkable how the app store and app review process has evolved over the time. To- over time, uh, back then it was just so it was just so much harder in uh, like twenty eleven to build apps in a lot of ways. Uh, it was simpler in some senses, but harder. And it was a lot more churn, I feel like, on the framework. So today, it seems like the community has pretty, has more standard ways of dealing with dependencies. Uh, there was no Cocoa Pods back then, so I had to, if I was going to bring in a dependency, I had to get it to build in Xcode, you know, and link it in. And man, linking problems. I always had linker problems with these third-party things. Another reason why you, sh- you shouldn't be too heavily reliant on these third-party, um, you know, frameworks. But I think 3.20 was a major one. Every time they updated it, I was like, oh, crap. This goes my entire afternoon trying to get it update to 3.20, like, to link properly. And it was just always a mess. Uh, I remember times where I would spend, like, an entire day trying to untangle why I suddenly couldn't build the app, and it was just awful. Uh, I rarely have that kind of problem today. Uh, just everything about the infrastructure is better today. So, so, so much better. I mean, despite what problems I still encounter, uh, it's just leaps and bounds better than back then. Uh, but back then, it also still felt revolutionary. I mean, I, I still think mobile is a, is a very important platform. But today, everybody has a phone, you know, with a touch screen, and it does all kinds of crazy stuff we couldn't even dream of back then. But, you know, even in 2011, it still felt like this revolutionary thing. We were still having debates, uh, I think, around then about you know, mobile first or not. Like that was a thing that you were hearing about, uh, you know, how much functionality should be in the mobile version versus the full website version of something. Like these are all, you know, arguments that are just long dead at this point. <laughs> you know, it's just everything. The mobile app should be like the center. <clears throat> but even then we saw the students were uh, really taking to the platform strongly. And, and even today, uh, iOS is still the, by far the dominant mobile platform on, on campus. And uh, students are still using this, you know, thousands and thousands of students still use this app every day in its current form. And it continues to evolve and bring value to their uh, education, which is cool. And uh, over time, we just integrated all kinds of stuff into it. And um, it was really, uh, it's really, it was really fun. And version two was probably like maybe the most fun we had on it because it was, we're all brand new to doing native app development at the time. And so it was like the sky was the limit. We had, you know, we were doing the design. We were doing the logos ourselves. We were doing coding ourselves. We were doing the API ourselves. Like everything was getting built. Uh, and it was just so, it was so much fun working on a team like that back then, building something new, something that other universities could not uh, replicate. Uh, so it was, it was really a special time. And the whole team, is amazing. And a lot of those people are still working there with me. And so I, and they're even more amazing now than they were then. So it was great. So that was, that's my rambling about Drexel one version two. Uh, that's uh, so it's so hazy now in my memory. Um, I have a little, a little better handle on version three since it's still an active project, but yeah, version two and uh, so many changes happened in those few years, like three years we had version two in the store. So many things happen with uh, the platforms. Uh, like the iOS platform and the dev tools, they just evolved so quickly back then. It was it was crazy. Like every every summer, it was a mad scramble, especially uh, 
you know, up until iOS 7. And then, yeah, 7, 8. Actually, until like iOS 9 or something, things were just constantly changing so much. Like I would just have all this stuff breaking every summer. Uh, those were the days. Hopefully not to return again. I don't know, with dark mode coming, potentially, in iOS 13, uh, I might be in for some fun this, this summer. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's it for this Throwback Thursday, my rambling about version 2 of Drexel 1 Mobile. Uh, it was a good time with great people, and uh, it was just a time of when mobile development was still really kind of new and super hot and uh you know you you were just always forging new paths almost whatever you were doing because there was just there was so much green field at the time uh so that's what made it a really special experience okay that's it so tonight i'm going to go see uh, captain marvel so i should have a review of that tomorrow for you if you want to stay tuned until like tomorrow night or just go ahead and see it because I'm sure it's fine. But I'll let you know my thoughts about that tomorrow. For now, have a great Thursday, and I will talk to you later. We keep the lights low, cause it's con-